Episode 36, Knowing the Importance of Your Online Presence, my conversation with Gordon Van Wetchel of the Alchemy Consulting Group. I'm Michael D. Eisenberg. I'm the Tech Savvy Lawyer, blogging at the techsavvylawyer.page and host of the techsavvylawyer.page podcast. In this podcast series, I'll be interviewing lawyers, judges, and others in the area of law to talk about where they see lawyers new and seasoned, taking advantage of technology in their legal work, and how all lawyers can utilize technology to better their practice, improve their services to their clients, and enhance their own lives. Our next guest is Gordon Van Wetchel. Gordon is the founder and chief alchemist of the Alchemy Consulting Group. For nearly two decades, Alchemy has been helping hundreds of small to medium-sized businesses and professional practices develop marketing and business growth plans that have brought millions of dollars in ad revenue. Gordon and I discussed not only how attorneys should handle their online presence, but how to work with a staff located across the globe. Enjoy. Gordon, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Michael. Been looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. And, you know, to start things off, I'd like to hear what is your current tech setup? We are actually in multiple countries and three offices here in the U.S. Uh, I personally live almost exclusively on a Windows-based laptop. It goes with me everywhere. I would like to say that I'm conversant using my phone as a computer, but that would be somewhat disingenuous. I pretty much talk on the phone, uh, but use my laptop for most everything. Uh, here in my home office, I also have a second Windows-based computer set up, and that's typically running one or more search programs, uh, scrapers, and ways that we might uh, generate potential leads for our team. Uh, here in the U.S., I'm in our main office, uh, which is in Southeast Virginia. We also have an office in Austin, Texas, and a third one in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And actually, when we started the company in 2003, we were in Colorado. Uh, We're still a Colorado corporation, uh, and our registered agent is in Colorado, uh, but we no longer have an office there. Well, well, Gordon, let's go back a couple steps. So you say you run a Windows laptop that travels everywhere with you. What laptop is that? It's an HP. Uh, It's just a basic 17-inch HP. I like the, the wider laptops because the keys are a little bigger and there's a 10 key mm-hmm. pad. Okay. Uh, and, and I, I like working the 10 key rather than having to hunt and peck the numbers on the row across the top. <laughs> well, what version of windows are you using? I'm on 10. Is there a reason why you haven't upgraded to 11? Uh, just haven't done it yet. Uh, I'm comfortable with 10. The, uh, the transition from eight to 10 took a little bit of time. I just haven't updated to 11 yet. Okay. And what about your desktop? Is What Windows device is that? Brand? I don't have a desktop. I have a second laptop here oh, in the me. office. Yeah. Excuse me. Uh, and it's also on Windows 10. And is that an HP as well? That is as well, yes. I've so pretty much right? had nothing but HPs for probably the last 12 or 14 years. Yeah, they are very reliable, solid machines. And I've used HP printers. Yeah. Uh, since uh, before law school, uh, you know, the laser printers just last forever. Right? You know, yep. they usually last like 10, 15 years. And then, you know, I'm not complaining so much when they pass. Uh, but so you're using a laptop, it sounds like, as uh, a desktop. 
I, I really do. Yeah, I really do. Benefits do you find from that? Well, portability. Uh, I mean, if I get tired of sitting at my desk, I can grab the laptop and go down and sit in the family room. Right, right. Uh, I can work on the plane. Uh, you know, I can take it with me to a client's office. Uh, it, it's well, just, to me, it's much more versatile. Well, hold on a sec. Maybe I'm confused. Do you have two computers or one? I have two laptops. One stays here in my office, mm -hmm. and that one primarily runs one of our scraping tools uh, that mm -hmm. we use to generate leads. Uh, there's a couple of other processes that I might run on that, but it's really a backup. My main okay. laptop that I carry around with me to, to clients and when I travel, uh, that's the one that I use, as you say, more like a desktop. So I guess I'm, I'm kind of, I'm curious, you know, when people have that like on-site computer, you know, for their backup or for their main server, usually they use, you know, a desktop computer, not a laptop. What prompted you to have that as a laptop versus a desktop? Primarily the portability. You know, when I, in my previous company, before I started Alchemy, I, I mm -hmm. my main office for that company was in Denver and, and we had 20 people in that main office. Uh, almost all were on desktops. We hosted our own servers. I mean, we, we were much more tech advanced for that day. Uh, this company, because we're so remote, uh, Everybody on the team uses laptops. I think with the exception of my woman who's in Northern India, she uses a desktop. So you've got staff everywhere. Where, how, what do you use to help communications uh, be fluid, uh, you know, given different time zones and different locations? Yeah, good question. For our people here in North America, which is, you know, our three offices in the States, and then Tammy Ann, who's my operations director, is just outside of Toronto. Uh, we use Slack for, mm -hmm. for our inner office communication. Uh, for our people that are offshore, uh, we use Skype. So when I say offshore, uh, we've got people in London, in Nigeria, the Philippines, and India. And, and why can't you use Slack? for people out of the country? We probably could, but we were using Skype before we were using Slack. Uh, some of the people that are, that are outside the US have been with me for six or seven years. And we were, we've just used Skype from the time we started. And okay. they seem, they're very conversant with Skype. I'm sure they could be equally conversant with Slack, but the other well, thing that I like about Skype is we can pick up the phone and talk that way very easily. Given that everyone is just, you know, not at the same office, where do you, what concerns do you have and how do you address online security? Other than each of us having our own security on our laptops, we use Google Drive for all of our shared data. Mm -hmm. uh, Tammy Ann and I, my ops director and I have access to every folder. Our team members have access to the folders that they need. Mm -hmm. uh, and, th and that's really how we share and manage files and data. We have not had issues with security as long as everybody has their own protection on, on their individual computers. Mm -hmm. The main challenge mm -hmm. we have, particularly working with people offshore, is reliability of the internet. Uh, particularly in the Philippines, uh, mm -hmm. you know, we've got people in four different parts of the Philippines and right. we might have great reception for April where she lives, but Shereel on the other side of the country, I mean, she might be down for three days if a storm comes through. Uh, gotcha. So, so that's an issue. Uh, not so much in India or Nigeria or London, but the Philippines will occasionally have 
accessibility issues. So what do what do you guys do when you lose that kind of contact? I mean, are you concerned about like an, an important deadline? Has has that caused any any um, any problems? It hasn't, but I think that's because we've organized our workflow so that the people who are working offshore have very specific activities that they do. They're mm-hmm. really siloed, although we have backups for everybody if someone goes mm-hmm. down. Uh, but it's rare that the activities that our offshore people are doing are so time sensitive that there could be a problem. Uh, for example, uh, the woman who manages our web development team is in Nigeria. Uh, when we mm-hmm. take on a web building or a website refurbishing assignment, uh, we'll build enough time into that process right. and manage our client's expectations such that if, you know, if we run into a creative problem or if we're having challenges with content, uh, we've got the time built in to, to take care of that. Uh, for our people that are in the Philippines, uh, most of what they work on are fulfillment tasks that can be done at different times during the month. For example, mm-hmm. April that I mentioned earlier produces video for mm-hmm. a lot of our clients. Well, if she does that in the second week of the month or the third week, it really doesn't matter because we report to the client in their monthly reports at the end of the month. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, so we've built our workflow to accommodate some of those potential anomalies. Well, the reason why I'm really kind of focused on this for a second is that, you know, a lot of attorneys are considering using virtual assistants. And, you know, there are virtual yeah. assistants that are based in the United States. There are virtual assistants that are based in the Philippines and in other countries. And, of course, that, you know, in the legal realm, sometimes that deadline is, um, you know, crucial. Of course, they don't want to lose out on on, you know, sure. missing a deadline because sure. their VA unfortunately disappeared. I think that the yeah, the question you raise is a good one. And I'm a huge believer in VAs. I think that it's mm-hmm. a great way to get a lot of the more mundane tasks in our mm-hmm. business done in a mm-hmm. very cost efficient way. But we also have VAs that are US based. And mm-hmm. for some of our more creative, particularly for content creation, uh, mm-hmm. I don't use offshore people. Uh, gotcha. Not to say that their English isn't excellent. Uh, in fact, it's probably grammatically better than the way you and I talk, but it's right. so formal. And, right. you know, we want we, we, know, we want a more colloquial expression in our blog posts and our mm-hmm. business mm-hmm. posts that we create for clients. And, and so I do I do all of our content creation onshore. Uh, but some of our basic things like, you know, videos or social media posting, mm-hmm. you know, that can easily be delegated. Right. But if I had time sensitive work, as many attorneys do, filings and that sort of thing, I'd probably be using a VA somewhere here in the US. And, and that's what I do for at least this kind of work, the legal work that I do for the, the blogging, text uh, editor blog and whatnot. I use, uh, you know, I, I'm looking into using offshore. Uh, VAs and I can see the benefits and the detriments, you know, for each type. Um, yeah. I think the biggest concern that uh, attorneys have is not only, of course, things being done on a timely basis. You know, you don't want your internet out for several days because you can't talk to VA because you know their internet went out. Um, yeah. But on the other hand, there's also the security issues. So the concern attorneys have is, of course, you know, any proprietary information or uh, personal information. They just don't want that out in the Ethernet. So much so that, you know, in another country where things may not always be secure. Well, I I think that's a viable uh, concern. Perhaps some 
attorneys, perhaps some of the specialties that attorneys work in are more conducive to having an offshore VA than others. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're cranking out a lot of trust documents, for example, that's generally work that's templated to a large extent and it can easily be done offshore. Uh, person, personal injury work may be different. Uh, again, I'd, I'd have to think that through, but well, the, the problem, I think, in both those situations is you're giving out a lot of PPI, a lot of uh, personal and private information, sure. social security numbers, data births, uh, bank accounts, um, et cetera, that you don't want lost. And, you know, I'm presuming, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that when you are out and about, and I don't mean in your office at home or on your brick and mortar place, but, you know, if you're at Starbucks or even at a client's uh location that you're using some sort of VPN to protect the stuff that you're sending back and forth on the internet because you don't want that stuff looked at. And at the same time, you don't want your passwords and your bank accounts and anything else that may also be on your laptop. Gord, did you want to say something to that? Because no offense. You, I mean, yeah, I, I, I didn't know if there was a question there or not. Um, it's more of a thought. But. Yeah, we have, we have used several VPNs. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we have found is that the uh, speed degradation and the inconsistency were such that it, it just wasn't worth it. Uh, gotcha. And we just don't deal with that much sensitive, secure related okay. information. Uh, but we again, just I, don't. Yeah. I'm just referring to like when you're offsite, not, not in your office. I think you're fairly yeah. secure on your own Wi-Fi network, but you know, if you're using Starbucks uh, Wi-Fi and you're not using say your cell phone, um, that could be a bit of a problem. But one thing you mentioned earlier that I'm a little curious about is, so are you using your laptop as phones or do you have another cell phone or a cell phone? Well, I, I definitely have a smartphone. Uh, and, what do you use? We, I mean, we use, I, I use that primarily for texting and for just talking on the phone. Right. Uh, but what, what kind of phone do you use? Is it that's uh, an Android? Android. It's okay. an Android. Yeah. Any, any particular brand or? Uh, I think I have an LG. Okay. Well, the um, ABA recently came out with a survey and apparently um, 80% of the phones used by attorneys are iPhones. Interesting. Um, so I, I think that they appreciate the security that the uh, platform provides, the phone provides. Um what I do find interesting is people who have an iPhone, but don't have a Mac, you know, they use iPhones and, and, and windows, but not yeah. iPhones and Macs, which I don't quite understand, but then that that's for me not to understand perhaps. Um, and hopefully I'll learn along the way. Uh, but Gordon, let's get into the questions. Okay. What are the three best things attorneys can utilize online to help their practice grow? Well, at a foundation, every business needs a basic website. Now, that doesn't have to be some $15,000 razzle-dazzle thing. It really just needs to be a site that effectively conveys the value proposition of the firm and gives someone who's looking for legal counsel some insight into the personality of the firm. You know, who's, who are the partners? What's their focus? What's their experience? Uh, and the, the other thing about that website is that really becomes your 24-7 salesperson. Mm-hmm. The mistake that we see a lot of business owners and professional practice owners make is their website becomes like the old three-part three, three part brochures that we used to produce back in the pre-digital right. days. 
Uh, and it's a whole listing of features without a lot of focus on what's the benefit to the potential client for working with the firm. So what we like to see is that value proposition that answers the question, you know, why should I work with Michael as opposed to the 17 other attorneys in town? Right. Uh, and state that really clearly above the fold on the homepage. The other thing we like to see is a short video, 60 to 75 seconds with one of the partners looking right into the camera. Hey, thanks for visiting our site. Here are three reasons why our firm is one that you should consider. Three quick bullet points, boom, done. Mm -hmm. uh, not waxing eloquent for an extended period of time, but just a quick video to introduce. We find that video and statistically focus groups support this. Video is much more appealing than reading text to the typical mm -hmm. person looking at a website. Mm -hmm. So we love to see a firm put a, a short video that like I just described on the homepage. Uh, another video on the contact us page can be very helpful because what you can do with that is set expectations. Hey, we're really excited that you're interested in talking with us. Let me tell you what will happen if you give us your information. Because again, mm -hmm. a lot of people are reticent to put information onto a website. So if you can manage their expectations, hey, we're not going to inundate you with phone calls. One of our practitioners will be back with you generally within 48 hours, depending on the time of the, the, the day of the week. Mm -hmm. uh, and we look forward to the opportunity to consider working with you. Again, very simple. You know, I, I have a question sort of along these lines, going back more to the webpage itself. Mm -hmm. How important is it to have your own domain name? And I mean, not just for the website, but also for your email. I think it's hugely important. And it's so simple to do now and so cost efficient mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, that there's really not a reason not to do it. I think you really impugn your credibility when you've got, you know, Smith and Partners, and then you've got a, an MSN or a Yahoo email address. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it just doesn't come across as professional. And it amazes me how many at yahoo.coms, at gmail.coms that I see still today. You know, yeah. in my mind, the web pages have taken over as the yellow pages. It's taken yes. over as having that shingle in front of your office. It is going to be the first thing that people see. And quite frankly, you just don't look serious, in my opinion. If you are, you know, I'm, I'm at yahoo.com. And yeah. I've got this website, you know, you know, you know, uh, you know, Wix.com well, you, you, forward slash. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, the, the other thing is too many practices, I think, build a website and, and forget it. And mm -hmm. today's consumer is pretty sophisticated. I mean, they, they can open up your web page. And if it screams 2004, again, right. you've lost some credibility. Because the website design today is pretty sophisticated and someone mm -hmm. can look at your page and know that, you know, you've, you've not done anything about it. Or if you look down in the footer and it says mm -hmm. copyright 2016, well, that tells me you haven't <laughs> done squat to your page for five years or more. Uh, Do law firms need to have a copyright on their web pages? Absolutely. Why? Well, down in the footer, you, the, the footer, the bottom section on your web page, uh, Google looks at several things in that footer. Their mm -hmm. bots are, are crawling that. And it's one of the indications that this is a site that has been properly conceptualized and executed. So mm -hmm. typically what you want to see in the footer is, you know, uh, an address and phone. 
you want to see in, in some cases a map you know they're just a regular old google map mm-hmm. your hours that you're open communities mm-hmm. that you might serve and then the copyright down in the bottom and again all of those things tell the google bots that you know you've you've actually spent some time building your site correctly mm-hmm. hidden within there if you've mm-hmm. had a proper web developer is going to be a site map uh, again that allows the spiders uh, an easy way to crawl mm-hmm. uh, your images are going to be properly geotagged and people forget how much google juice or seo juice you can get from properly tagging those images the other thing that you can do not overdue but do on some of your pages is create those internal links you know if you've got mm-hmm. a firm with several areas of specialty you might have a paragraph on one page that has a link to another page on your site right. and again the bots will crawl those links and mm-hmm. network them together and again as somebody searches for a a particular search term that would coincide with one of the pages on your website because you've had those interior links that will help that that page be uh, be presented in the search results more readily. So I think you've given us two, uh, the web page and video. I know we talked a lot about Google. Is yeah. there a third thing that uh, attorneys can use uh, to utilize? Well, I think let, let me give you three and four, because I wasn't going to count sure. video. We just ran, went down that rabbit trail. I think the Google for Business page is very important. Now that's a recent name change. That was the Google My Business page for a couple of years. Just within the last 60 days, Google has rebranded that to the Google for Business. But that page is kind of the cornerstone of your presence online. On that page, you, you know, put all of your name, address, phone information, you can answer questions, mm-hmm. you can now upload videos, and then mm-hmm. you want to post to that page. And those posts are just short little four to 600 word posts, generally with a couple of keywords. You want to have a link to your website at the bottom of the post. Ideally, you put an image with it. Uh, But Google is rewarding people who optimize and fully use their Google for Business page. They're rewarding them in the search results. What's behind all of this is Google and Facebook have been in a war for attention for a long time. Mm -hmm. And the Google for Business page is their answer to the Facebook business page. And they reward people who effectively use that Google for Business page in search results. So that would be another page that a, that a law firm wants to emphasize is the Google for Business page. So the question I want to ask, though, is, well, do you do both Google and Facebook or, or one of the or is the other? Well, yeah, we should talk about social media in a minute. The quick answer is, yes, you want to have both. But okay. they really serve two separate functions. Your Google for Business page is, it's a directory for Google, and it's something that Google is emphasizing. So that's why you want to go along with it, and that's why you want to make those regular posts. Up until a couple of months ago, Google would delete the post after seven days. Now they're archiving them. So over a period of time, you have a real nice series of posts on relevant topics to your practice. And again, people that are doing a deep dive due diligence search for a professional are going to start reading through those posts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, you, you keyword those and you put a link to your website. So there's some SEO capabilities there as well. Uh, and then we'll come back to social media in a second. I won't forget that. But the third thing I would say that's important for a practice 
in their online presence is their online reputation. The reason I say that is there's a number of studies out that say between 85 and 90% of the people who search online or who are referred to a practice are going to go online and they're looking for two things. They're looking for that website because that proves you're a real practice. But second, they're looking for that reputation, those reviews, that social proof from past clients. They want to see that other people feel like they had a good experience working with the firm. Now, in the legal profession, a lot of times you're going to have a disgruntled client that maybe didn't get the result they wanted and they're going to say something negative or they may have been on the other side of a piece of litigation and they lost and they come back and they say bad things about your practice. Right. But that's why you want to, you want to have someone in the practice that's regularly monitoring that, or you want to have an agency or a piece of software that's monitoring your reputation online so that you can very quickly respond to all reviews, both good and bad. That response is particularly important because what that tells future searchers for your services is that you take people's opinions and in your reputation seriously. And if somebody does make a negative comment, you, you just respond respectfully uh, and you don't want to get into a flame war with them. Uh, mm -hmm. You say something and they come back and say something and you are, you don't want that at all. You just want a nice, simple professional response and then you let it lie. And what that tells future searches for your services are that you do take people's comments seriously and you value your reputation. So to summarize a website, your Google for Business page and your reputation are the three most important things that the most foundational things that we think a practice needs to have in their online presence. Now, was there something that you wanted to talk about uh, regarding social media before we move on to the next question or? You know, let, let me just quickly cover social media. I think it's one of the more overused and abused online centers of influence. And I say that because so many people have this idea that, oh, I have to be on social media. So they try to figure out how they can be on all the platforms. Mm. The places you want to be on social media are where your prospective clients are looking for information. Right. And in most cases, people that are looking for an attorney are probably not going to social media. They're certainly not going to Twitter or Pinterest to get information on an attorney. That being said, I think every partner and really every attorney in a firm needs to have a LinkedIn profile. And that profile just needs to summarize, you know, their education and the type of law they specialize in. Mm -hmm. uh, your profile on LinkedIn should not be your resume. It should be an introduction of yourself, what you do, and why someone should consider working with you. There's other spaces in a fully developed profile where you can put your, your resume, your education, those kinds of things. The other thing I think the practice generally needs is a Facebook business page. Not that you have to do a lot of posting to it, mm -hmm. but just having that presence and you know, occasionally making some updates or some posts is enough. But those two things, a LinkedIn page and a Facebook mm -hmm. business page, are probably enough for most practices. Well, let's move on to the next question, uh, which is sort of a two-part question. What are three reasons why attorneys may want to steer away from online marketing? And what are three reasons why attorneys would want to steer toward online marketing? You know, the only reason, well, there's a couple of reasons, I think, why some why a practice may not want to be online. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we've talked with a lot of solo practitioners who maybe have, uh, you know, one legal assistant, and they're as busy as they want to be. Uh, their business is coming in from referrals, or they're in a niche where they really have a dominant presence, and they just don't need to spend the time or money marketing online. 
uh, in some areas, some some local bar associations, less so now than even five or six years ago, but some bar associations really frown on attorney advertising. And by the time you put the disclaimers they want on an ad, it really distracts from it or on a web page or on a blog post. Uh, so that's a reason we've had some attorneys say it's just not worth it to them. Uh, for the most part, if a practice is looking to grow or has bandwidth to take on new clients, I think you pretty much have to be online these days. As you said earlier, a website is your online yellow pages. Uh, there's a certain demographic that still reads the newspaper that still probably mm-hmm. uses the yellow pages for more than a doorstop. But the majority of potential clients are going online to find information. They're doing their due diligence digitally rather than in the yellow pages. I've been fascinated how the years that we still get a yellow pages uh, book from the phone company, it's gotten thinner and thinner, thinner and, and thinner. thinner. Yeah. And I can't, I can't think of the last time we've gotten a yellow pages in the last couple of years, uh, let alone we've ever used one or kept one. Yeah. Well, let's move on to the third question. What are three things that Alchemy can do to help attorneys achieve a better internet presence? Well, the, the things I had talked about a few minutes ago, the foundational things, having a, a good quality website that you update every 18 to 24 months. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got a great web development team and we've done a lot of websites for professional practices. Mm-hmm. Having that Google business page in place and fully optimized. I would say for two thirds of our clients, our content creation team is actually doing the weekly posts to that Google mm-hmm. for business page. Uh, for at least half of our clients, we're doing regular blog posts. So mm-hmm. we've got a really strong client creation and curation team uh, that can help out with that. Uh, but once that foundation is in place, the next most important thing is driving traffic. Now, I know that's a little bit different than a lot of agency owners will say, because a, a lot of agencies want to sell search engine optimization. And we do that. We do a really good job at it. We've been doing it since 2006, but that's a longer, slower process. And most practices want to see a higher return on their investment more quickly. Mm-hmm. And once you have that core foundation in place, the, the website, the Google for Business and the reputation program, you need to start driving traffic. And the way you do that is through paid advertising, whether it's banner ads or Google AdWords, Mm -hmm. and then retargeting. Uh, I like to tell our clients that retargeting is the one marketing channel that makes all of your other marketing more effective. And the reason I say that is because most of the advertising that we do, whether it's online or offline, is designed to get people to go to our website. Mm -hmm. Well, Google tells us that 96% of the time that someone visits your website, they're not gonna take action at that time. They're not gonna pick up the phone. They're not gonna fill out your contact form. They're going to look at your site and then they're going to look at several other of your competitors' sites. What retargeting does is keep your brand in front of that prospect during the rest of the time that they're searching for a practitioner. So retargeting and paid advertising would be the next things to do once you have that foundation in place. Now, that's not to minimize search engine optimization, but that's a longer term play. Uh, it, It can be expensive. And so we like to focus on traffic before we start down the SEO road. Well, wait, I, I need to go back a second. So I guess maybe in my mind, I'm not hearing what exactly is retargeting. 
Well, let me describe it this way, because I'm sure you've experienced it. Have you ever shopped on Amazon or eBay? You look mm -hmm. at a product, you don't make a buying decision, but then you see ads on websites for the next couple of weeks for that product. Right. You've been retargeted. And the technology behind it is really pretty straightforward. We create campaigns, ad campaigns, and we put a piece of code on your website so that when someone visits the site, that piece of code transfers over to their computer based on their IP address. Okay. And then as they continue to search, the ads go through uh, 11 different ad exchanges and it's mm -hmm. a bidding process, much like AdWords. There's actually 12 ad exchanges in the world. We belong to 11 of them. The one we don't belong to only works outside the US. So that doesn't make sense for us to belong to them. Right. But we'll create those campaigns for our client. We submit them to the 11 ad exchanges for approval. And then we set up a bid price structure and we have a proprietary platform that allows us to uh, control the number of times a prospect sees your ad during the day, two, okay. three, four, six times. Uh, and then we can, uh, we can target them for retargeting. They visited mm -hmm. your website. Or we can also go into a cold market banner campaign that can be based on geography, demographics, psychographics. Uh, we live in such a, a sensor-based world these days that the big data companies can sell me access to just about anybody. I, I was laughing in a meeting the other day. I was talking about retargeting and banner campaigns. And I said to the group that if you wanted to target women between 30 and 45 who had kids at home, who drove a Volvo and, and enjoy YoPlay yogurt, I can put your ad in front of that group. Well, isn't that, I mean, I have to ask, isn't that expensive? Actually, it's not. Uh, retargeting and banner campaigns cost about as much as Google AdWords did 10 years ago. Oh, wow. It's very, very cost efficient today. And particularly in the legal space, AdWords can be very expensive. Mm -hmm. We did a campaign for a personal injury firm in Los Angeles. They were happy to get clicks at $220 a click. That exact same campaign in, say, Fargo, North Dakota would be $40 a click. Uh, DUI attorneys pay a lot for clicks. Uh, trust and estate, business, general business attorneys, much more reasonable. But if you look at the cost of retargeting and banner campaigns, mm -hmm. what it's based on impressions rather than clicks. So you actually pay per thousand impressions. Oh, so okay. we can routinely get a thousand impressions for 35 to $50, where we okay. might get one click for that same money, depending upon the geography and the, and the nature of the practice. Do, do they charge you for the click as well, or just the impression? Just the impressions. We're paying per thousand impressions. And of course, what we're trying to do with those ads is get the person to click on the ad and then go to a landing page. Gotcha, uh, gotcha. One of the best practices, particularly with AdWords, is mm -hmm. to take people to a landing page rather than back to the homepage in your website. And your pricing on AdWords is largely based on your quality score, not how much you're willing to pay or where your, your ad is positioned on the page. And to develop that quality score, there's, gosh, at least 40 or 50 different components to that algorithm. But one of the keys is building landing pages for each ad campaign.
Uh, we've been doing AdWords for a long time. Our AdWords team has managed over 10 million in ad spend. So mm -hmm. we're really, really good at making sure we get a fast return on investment and can try to get that ad cost down as low as possible, as quickly as possible. There is a timeline on that. There's a certain amount of A-B split testing that has to go in before we can really hone in on the properly worded ads and be testing those ads against each other. But you know, doing the site tags and the geolinks and the landing page and the negative keywords and all those things mm -hmm. that go into a really properly developed AdWords campaign, uh, that's something we have a lot of expertise in. So we've talked about uh, generating a web page. We've talked about Google AdWords and retargeting and banner campaigns. Mm -hmm. What would be the third thing you guys can do to assist attorneys to help uh, better their internet presence? You know, we do social media as necessary, but again, mm -hmm. our feeling about social media is let's really determine where your ideal client prospect is searching for information. And that may or may not be on social media. Uh, the other thing that the next step would be a search engine optimization campaign. Uh, and again, that's a two-step process. We want to make sure that your website is properly optimized with the correct headers. I talked earlier about uh, geotagging images, uh, the proper keyword density in the text, proper text length, uh, regular blog posts because that provides fresh content. Those are all on-site. Off-site optimization is equally important. And, you know, that's creating uh, backlinks. That's doing guest mm -hmm. blog posts. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. You know, those kinds of strategies that, again, over time will help propel a website further up in the search results. But the reality is for really highly competitive keywords, it's going to be extremely difficult for a firm to crack those first two pages in any short order. Typically, we're telling just to manage expectations, we tell people you could easily spend the next nine to 12 months before some of those highly competitive keywords are ranking and you're generating business from them. That's not to say that we won't have keywords ranking on page one in the first two or three months, but they're not going to be those keywords that have the higher search volume. Excellent. Excellent. Well, if there was one key piece of advice that you would give attorneys regarding their internet presence, what would that be? Well, you've got to have the foundation in place. You know, and we've talked about this a couple of times, the, mm -hmm. you know, the website, the Google for business, the reputation, yep. and then start working on driving traffic. Once that foundation is there, mm -hmm. the name of the game is traffic. Excellent. And the way Excellent. Google has changed their structure in the last 24 to 30 months, you have to pay to play. The, the days of build it and they will come are long past us, Michael. You've got to pay to play gotcha. if you want to get, get high results in the search engines. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, Gordon, I want to thank you for being on the podcast today. But before we let you go, I understand you have a special offering to some of our listeners today. Yeah. Uh, one of my recent books that turned out to be an Amazon top seller is called Core 5 Marketing. Core five is a brand that we have trademarked and it summarizes the five critical components to a really complete marketing plan. And the thing about the book that I think is going to be helpful for your listeners is mm -hmm. as we go into each one of the core five, there's a checklist of things that you can implement. Uh, you or someone in the practice can implement mm -hmm. on their own. You know, obviously I hope you're overwhelmed by it and you decide to reach out and hire us, but the reality is I want it to be a, a how to guide as much as anything else. 
So yeah, we're uh, Tammy Ann, my assistant, will give you the link, and it's a free download. Uh, of course, you're welcome to go onto Amazon and buy it for 13 bucks and get your own hard copy. <laughs> but you know, this free digital download has everything that's in the in the hard copy. I will be sure to put it in the in the show notes. And if you could tell us, where can people find you? Uh, TheAlchemyConsultingGroup.com the alchemy a-l-c-h-e-m-y consultinggroup.com we are on twitter we have a facebook business page of course you can find my linkedin profile i'll be sure to put links uh in the show notes for all of that and again i want to thank you for being on gordon i really appreciate your time and you've provided some great helpful information for us to you know hopefully help us grow our practice and keep our internet presence positive Great, Michael. I've enjoyed it. I hope your listeners get some good value from our conversation. Thank you again. You have a great day. You do the same. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the TechSavvyLawyer.page podcast. Our next episode will be posted in about two weeks. If you have any ideas about a future episode, please contact me at michaeldj at the TechSavvyLawyer.page. Have a great day and happy luring.